Hailing from the heartland of America, atop the high bluffs of Western Iowa, comes the voice of the church. God himself blew on history so that there would be a light. A timely message, convicting words, burning with passion for righteousness and justice again. Why don't you believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community, that we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're gonna answer for them. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth not shall be damned. So what do you really believe? People that believe in Jesus Christ, that He was buried, that He was resurrected on the third day, that He's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building and He cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And He wants them to be filled with people that have some passion, that understand what it means to be a Christian, that aren't slobs drooling with all of their candy and their chocolate and their soda and their entertainment, wanting to hear a preacher to tell them that they're just fine the way that they are and they don't need to change and they don't need to worry about repentance. They don't need to get the sin out of their life. Those are not good preachers. And those are not legitimate churches and their buildings become an aggravation and a mocking point. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. The danger is you begin to take dominion the same way Adam did when he was irritated. So the dominion's just about you, right? This is terribly dangerous, and it's connected. Listen carefully. If I find a couple going to church that has not properly shifted into a biblically sound understanding of dominion on behalf of and for the kingdom of God, seeking the kingdom first, without any exceptions that I can find in 35, 36 years of being here, 20 years of being a pastor, I can't find one couple that didn't tithe right and wouldn't listen on finances that their children grew up and became strong soldiers on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't find a single couple that pulled that off. And it is because the way you handle the tree, which represents God's property, not yours, is directly connected to how you bring up your born once child. And not only then do you struggle to get others born a second time, your own offspring 
Listen to me, this is a beautiful warning for young couples. I can't help you if you blew it with your kids. It's too late. Uh, You did what you did. You just have to lean on God's grace for him to compensate for the things you did wrong. But you are not a model for others to follow. And don't pretend that you should be. You should just repent if you messed up. You said, boy, I raised my kids. They're all grown and they're all screwed up. Listen, that's probably true of a lot of folks in the room, and I know it. And the last thing I want you to do, I'll say it again, is to wallow in self-pity and say, oh, they made me feel terrible at church today. That's not the point. The point is, why don't you just say you're sorry? Because you did screw up. Your kids are a mess. Take ownership of your contribution to their disaster because you didn't do it God's way and just repent for it. Say, God, forgive me. He's right. The preacher's right. I messed up. My kids are a mess. I am so sorry. Forgive me. Here's what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm going to give you the rest of my life to right the wrong as best as I can, and I'm going to help you have people born a second time. That is how you fix it. That's the best you can do, and keep praying for the children that came out of your loins that they'll turn around before it's too late. But wouldn't it be a tragedy that if, if for fear of offending those who'd screwed up, we wouldn't teach these things because you know what's really more important uh, than the things that you already screwed up that we can't fix? The young couples that are starting to have babies right now in this church, they're more important. They don't have to do it the wrong way like you did. And so if you just join with me, one of the pastors in the church, join with me in the spirit of correcting the next generation and and link up with me and say amen and support what I'm saying instead of feeling sorry for yourself, look around the room at the young people that are wanting to get married and they want a preacher to say, I pronounce you man and wife. And then they're going to go off and they're going to have children. And we hope... We hope that they will parent them correctly, that they'll follow biblical principles. And let me just tell you very plainly, it is impossible theologically or in practice to separate how you handle your money from the success of your own children. The property instinct and the sexual instinct were made by the same God and given on the same day to the same two people in the Garden of Eden. And whole nations are being destroyed because we're not handling marriage right. Financially, we're being destroyed because we're not handling marriage right. And I can tell you as a minister, almost of 20 years, serving my father in this church, in this congregation, I have not seen one couple who was unfaithful in their finances and tithing to the local church successfully rear children that served the Lord later. I haven't seen it. There's always problems, and it's a spiritual issue, and it's because the two are inseparable. And so when we discuss parenting, we also need to discuss dominion. Here's the question that we're bringing up, and this is what we see demonstrated. I'm going to show you with David in just a moment. An epiphany that happens after you screwed up. Now, I'll just give you an opportunity because, after all, grace comes to the humble. I want to give you an opportunity to demonstrate humility. How many of you will say, without batting an eyelid, I have screwed up in some of these things? Put your hand up. Now, look around the room. Some of you are too young to have screwed up yet. That's why we're preaching this. We don't want you to ever have to raise your hand. Young people, I don't ever want you to have to raise your hand. So listen, you don't have to do it wrong. When we deal with dominion, it is a question, am I taking dominion on behalf of the kingdom or am I taking dominion on behalf of me? That simple. Am I having children because I want to honor Father God and fill the world up with righteous people that'll be here when I die? to carry on the legacy of the kingdom? Or am I just having children for whatever reason? Thought it would look cute. All the girls are doing it now. I'm lonely. It would be nice to have someone with me all the time. There's all kinds of crazy reasons. 
I'm, I'm horrified, I'm pregnant, and I didn't want to be. There's one of the worst. How did this happen? This is not beginning correctly. These are very serious, serious problems. All of you have a dominion instinct, every one of you, and every one of you, with a few exceptions because of medical issues, most everyone in here has a sexual instinct. God made you that way. Almost every single one of you has a property instinct, unless you've damaged your psyche somehow through socialism, Marxism. Marxism will do it. It'll destroy that naturally God-given instinct to get up off your rear end and go earn something and feel the joy of ownership. It'll destroy it. But you have both of the instincts. My question is very simple. What are you doing with it? Can you imagine? Let me just show you the disparity between carnal living and really tapping into our purpose in God, where it literally changes how we function and how we think. Can you imagine living in a world where born-again Christians had as much passion and drive in them as a Christian to reach the lost and get people born a second time as they have the instinct to have sex? Can you imagine what the world would look like in just a few years if the body of Christ was as excited about getting people born a second time as they were with the biological act that creates children the first time? And so God couldn't get dominion instinct to function right with Adam because Adam got mad and turned away. He couldn't get Adam and Eve to give their reproductive power, their sexual power, on behalf of their Father in heaven. There's something in you that if you think about 40, 50 years from now, you kind of think dreamy, wow, it's going to be so neat someday to be, be a grandpa and have all kinds of beautiful grandchildren that are mine. I'm, gonna, I'm excited about That's going to be wonderful. Christmas, when all the kids come home. You think about stuff like that sometimes. I do. I think it's going to be neat. I can't wait to see what kind of kids Jonas will have. <laughs> it's just going to be like a walking comedy. It's going to be hilarious. I'm excited about that. All these little babies that are going to come someday from my loins, and I'm going to be their bearded grandpa. That's neat. I look forward to that. And so Father God, in a similar way, wanted the world filled with righteous children. He just loved the idea. That's all he ever wanted. And Adam wouldn't do it. Eve wouldn't do it. And it all surrounded that tree in the center of the garden. They would not do what they were supposed to do. And my, are we doing the same thing? Are we doing the same thing? Are we refusing to recognize that there is a part of this world in this garden that is God's. That he's given us all kinds of things. But down here, growing from this dirt on this planet, there are things connected to the soil here, not in heaven, here, that are very natural, producing fruit, and they don't belong to us. They belong to him. Are we doing the same thing? Because I will tell you what's in the center of your garden if you're in orbit around the center of the true universe. When you're born a second time, the universe is no longer in orbit around you. When you're born the second time, there is something here on this earth that belongs to God. And you are to guard it just like Adam was commanded to guard the tree in the center of the garden. That was his responsibility. To keep it. 
to nourish it, to tend it. Did you know Adam was to tend the garden and the forbidden fruit and the tree that belonged to God was in the middle of the garden? Adam was supposed to be guarding and protecting and nurturing. He wasn't supposed to eat it. It's not his. He was supposed to take care of it. He was supposed to revere it. He was supposed to honor it. He was supposed to respect the limits of a property instinct to keep himself from thieving, to keep himself from greed, to keep himself from envy. All of those lessons could be learned from something down here on earth that belonged to God. And he was to make sure that it flourished. He was to understand that it's the center of everything. It's the center of everything. But Adam thought of himself as the center of everything. And that's where it all fell apart. And the moment that Adam, for the first time in his existence, walking around, we assume, didn't have any clothes on, and all of a sudden he has an epiphany. I'm naked. Do you know why? Self-awareness. Suddenly, everything was about him. He was aware of his own naked. He had been so distracted at the wonders of what God had made and his duty to guard it, to keep it and to nurture it, and, and, and enjoying the dominion that God wanted him to have, subduing and all of these ideas were so wonderful, but then as soon as he disobeyed, violated what was supposed to be the center of his garden that didn't belong to him, he became the center in his own mind. And now the dominion instinct was still there. The sexual instinct was still there, but it was all about him. There is something that is supposed to be the center of your life, and it's not you. There's something down here, not in heaven, down here. Jesus even prayed, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's always been about getting it right here. And let me tell you what you're supposed to be in orbit around that's in the center. You're supposed to make sure that it flourishes. You're supposed to give your energy to keeping everything that is around it. And the very center of your life, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in the center of the garden that God has given you. And your life should be in orbit around him. It doesn't mean that you don't get to enjoy all the other trees. In fact, it means you do get to enjoy the other trees. And what happened as soon as Adam put himself as the center of the universe and disobeyed and dishonored what God said about the tree in the middle of the garden? What is it that happened? What was the penalty? The penalty was this. Now you have to leave the garden completely. And for this reason, Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then in another place, Jesus says, And then all these things, these other things will be added to you. But if you don't seek the kingdom first, all those other things will be taken from you. The kingdom won't be second. 
It won't be third. It won't be ninth. It won't be 26th. The kingdom must be first. And only do you secure all the other trees for your enjoyment when you keep the one in the middle where it belongs. And you don't violate what God says about it. There are some things on this planet that aren't yours. They belong to Jesus. They belong to God. And I will tell you that the church should be the center of what you're doing. The local church should be what you're in orbit around. Nothing else, not you. Do not fall into the trap of Adam where everything's in orbit around you. Your life should be in orbit around the church. And here's the beautiful thing. When you let God be the center, when you let his restraints and his warnings remain the center, all these other things, what if they had just honored the one tree in the center of their garden? They would not have had to have been kicked out of the garden. Eventually lose it. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Our country is no longer in need of a great awakening. America is in need desperately of a resurrection. And there's a difference between a resurrection and a great awakening. In far too many American churches, the Great Commission has been reduced. The emphasis is on really getting people ready to die. But the church is not here to get people prepared to die so much as we're here to equip people and how to truly live. I've written a new book that talks about this. It's called A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. You can get a copy of the book at beyondthewallsradio.com. God bless you. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Let's look at a verse that we touched on last week. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The desire to obtain stuff is a good desire. But always keep in your heart, adjust it, ask God to help you, to make sure that your natural, good, wholesome desire to obtain property, to obtain finances, to obtain lands, to obtain an inheritance for your children, that you remain connected at all times to something more lasting than just human beings. But that in the, in the achievement of things, You are doing it on behalf of God. Let me say this to you before we read. Generosity is something that you do amongst yourselves sideways with other people. When you're showing generosity, you're giving to one another and helping one another. But I think it's important to understand that dominion is not something you give so much as it is something you take. So when I'm generous, I give to my fellow man. When I, when I deal with dominion, I am taking dominion on behalf of the kingdom of God. One is giving and one is taking. At the cross, Jesus did both at the same time. For God so loved, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus gave his life for you sideways 
But at the cross, in a miraculous, amazing way, Jesus was also taking something. He was taking dominion on behalf of the kingdom of God and restoring what was lost through Adam and Eve. And for this reason, Jesus is called the second Adam in the second garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus responded to the requirement of take dominion and replenish the earth. Jesus responded properly to those two instincts that Adam refused to respond to. And so quite literally, when we step into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the sacrifice that was made for us, grace comes available for us to begin then following after Jesus to do what? To take dominion on behalf of the kingdom. And so generosity is something you do with one another, but not necessarily something that you do with your local church. I would caution anyone to think that they're being generous when they put money into an offering plate or a basket like we do here. That's not generosity. That's dominion. You're taking dominion on behalf of the kingdom when you recognize that your life is in orbit around the kingdom of God and its primary advocate on the earth here is the church. You're taking your time, your effort, your energies, your finances, and you're saying, Lord, we're going to possess the world for you, and it's right here on the dirt. There's a building built here. And the more churches we see rise, of course, it's important what's done inside the building, but the more buildings that we see established around the world, the more dominion the kingdom of God is taking. And when we think of Iraq this morning, it's not Christianity that's taken dominion. It's Islam. When we think of Iraq this morning, it's not necessarily Christianity that has had the children through marriage. It's Islam. And so dominion is connected to your willingness to have children. It is a blessing from the Lord. You should do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Back up one chapter. I told you nine. We'll get there in a moment. Chapter 8, and then we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we've spoken of grace and that husbands and wives are heirs together of the grace of life, but now look at what is said, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, speaking about Jesus going to the cross, look at chapter 8 and verse 9, for you know the grace, say grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he being rich for your sakes became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. I think that we make a huge error when we equate the word rich in this verse only to money. That is not accurate. But money, of course, is included. What this scripture is describing is the act of dominion. Jesus was giving himself, but he was also taking dominion. And God is wanting to stir in you a culture of generosity where you take care of one another and you bless one another sideways, but you also take dominion through the church. And grace is involved in this. The grace to have children is connected to the grace to take dominion 
And if you are the center of your own garden, you do not have the grace of God and you cannot take dominion on behalf of the kingdom. And that's frightening. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's one more chapter over. And I'll just tell you, you could certainly read these passages. This is a fundraising letter. It's a fundraising letter. These two chapters, the Apostle Paul is explaining to the people, not asking them to be generous, He is inviting them to return the dominion instinct to where it belongs. And in reference at the end and concluding on him asking for the people of the church at that time to take their financial resources and pool them together and supply the church of the living God, he says this at the closing. And I want you to see what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks, therefore, be unto God for this unspeakable gift. Back up one verse to 14. What unspeakable gift? Unspeakable. This is something that is so essential that it is hard to put words on it. It's unspeakable. It's a gift. What is he talking about? Back up one verse. And their prayer for you to long after you greatly for the abundant grace of God in you. Abundant grace that was unspeakable. What was the abundant grace? Back up another verse, verse 13. Which by the experiment of this ministration, praise God for your voluntary submission to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution to them and to all men. What's he talking about? He's talking about the synergy that they had together as a local church by giving in the offering, by tithing faithfully, and by supplying the local church. The church was then able to turn around and exercise dominion in that community and that they were able to abound unto every good work together as the body of Christ. Now go back to verse 6 in the same chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. This yet remember that he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth liberally shall reap also liberally. As every man wisheth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. And so clearly the grace of God as we explore it, we talked about how we receive it. We receive it in the church, extra ecclesium nullus salus, outside the church there is no salvation. We're saved by grace. Grace flows only through the church. Therefore, we must have the church as a tool of salvation to bring us in and to keep us nourished. But now we're talking about how to let the grace flow out of you. And there are two ways that it flows out of you in the natural. One is by the grace you inherit with spouse, husband and wife having children. You have the grace to procreate. Two, you have the instinct to obtain property, get out of the rental mentality, own something, enjoy the the joy that God made of possessing the garden and enjoying all the things that are here for you. And then spiritually, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ empowers you to get people born a second time and then God will make sure you have all the grace to overflow and that you realize the church belongs to him 
And when you give to the church, you're not really just being generous, you're taking dominion on his behalf and cooperating with his plan to reach the world. Can you say amen? This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. God himself blew on his tree so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in.